lesson tonight is taken from Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. The word of the Lord. The gospel tonight is taken from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 15 and 31 to 35. The Lord be with you. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and they, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? He, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him all at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of Christ. I don't know how many of you have sat. 
Good friend. 
brutal kind of death that humanity has ever invented. Deserted, betrayed by his closest friends. Mocked, scorned, and crucified by leaders and soldiers alike. Is there anything good about that name? There's always something strange about calling it good. And I wonder if this year we feel that a bit more poignantly than ever. This year. This year with a sense of loss and darkness. This year when the sorrow and bewilderment of Lent seems a little bit too close to real life, doesn't it? Two years into COVID. Is it only two years? Two years in and we're tired, discouraged, and disoriented. There are days when I forget what day of the week it is. The recent convoys and blockades witness to the deep divisions in our society, people taking sides against one another, even in the same family. Over the past year, the horror of the residential schools has hit home with a new significance as more grave sites are discovered. And of course, for weeks and weeks, almost to the point that we're numb, the news has been filled with a horrific and terrifying war in Ukraine, which is the latest revelation of the brutality that human beings are capable of. Syria, Ethiopia, Myanmar, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? There's more displaced refugees in the world than ever before. 26 million refugees. And that's not even counting all the people who are displaced. There's 80 million people in the world who are displaced at this time. The 21st century seems to have begun much like the 20th century with shocking violence and loss. Any hope that humanity might actually be improving or reaching a new age of enlightenment has died along with the thousands of victims of human brutality. That's without even mentioning the environmental threats that cloud the horizon robbing us of any hope in the future. So, perhaps this year, we might find it more difficult to travel from Monday, Thursday, through Good Friday and Holy Saturday to Easter Sunday. And yet, isn't that exactly the point? That the path to Easter Sunday and the glorious hope of the resurrection, or Psalm 134, and standing in the presence of the Holy One, in that holy place, that that passes in Easter, it passes through the despair and horror of Good Friday and Holy Saturday every year. It's Good Friday, because it's the day where Jesus broke the power that sin and death have, have over you and over me. And Jesus did this once and for all. It is finished. But it is also Good Friday because the promise rooted in this day, both Monday and Thursday 
promise rooted in this day is that there is no darkness in the human condition. That God will not come into, enter into, in order to deliver us. And there is no darkness in the human heart. That God is not willing to cleanse and redeem. Whether that be redemption for the people of Ukraine in the midst of their situation, redemption for those in our own communities struggling with the fallout of COVID, or redemption for the First Nations people trying to move beyond residential schools. Good Friday doesn't promise us that there will be no more sorrow or pain in our lives, but it does promise us that whatever struggles we face, that evil will never be the last word, because it is finished. There are, I think, then two elements for us to keep in mind as we continue on our pilgrimage or journey. The first is that what gives us hope? Always Jesus. What gives us hope is always Jesus. The goal of our pilgrimage is not to travel to the temple. The goal of our pilgrimage is to travel towards Jesus. And the more clearly we see him, the more that hope is shaped and fashioned in our heart that strengthens our resilience and sets us free to know hope even in the darkness. The Magi that T.S. Eliot spoke about had a long and difficult journey following the star until they found the baby Jesus and offered their gifts. But they didn't really understand who he was or what his arrival signified. The people of Israel were called, if they could, to journey regularly to Jerusalem to remind themselves of who they were, of who God is, and to taste again that hope of the promises that God had made to them as a people going all the way back to Abraham. But even as they hoped for a Messiah, they didn't yet see Jesus or know him. The letter to the Hebrews reminds you and I that we have what they did not. Hebrews 1, in these last days, he that is God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things through his powerful word. And then in chapter 6, the author of Hebrews speaks of the promise of God and the promises of God which are all wrapped up in Jesus. And he says this, we have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered. Jesus is the embodiment of our hope. Whatever else we might be doing this Holy Week, as we travel through these days from the Palm Procession to Monday, Thursday, to Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then to Easter Sunday, whatever else we are doing, 
picks up a basin full of water. And then he kneels before each one of his friends and followers. And he washes their dusty and dirty feet. He even washes the feet of Judas, who is about to betray him. This foot washing has sometimes been seen as a call to serve one another, and that is certainly part of it. But in its context, it seems clear that Jesus is also framing a way for his followers, including you and I, to understand more clearly what is to come. That this act of service, with only a cloth wrapped around his waist, is a foreshadowing of his act of service on the cross, where Jesus serves the world by giving up his life. On the cross, instead of simply washing our feet, he cleanses our hearts and our lives. And so he says to Peter, one who has bathed, bathed does not need to wash, except for the feet. They are entirely clean, entirely clean. God has entered into the darkness of our lives, the shadow places, the places we don't want anybody else to know about. And he has done that precisely to liberate us from the power that sin and death have held over us. This ceremony of washing the disciples' feet did not make sense to them at the time. Peter, in fact, as we read, Peter protested against it. But after the crucifixion, they recognized that rather than trying to avoid the crucifixion and death, that Jesus walked this path to serve them and to set them free. Paul says this so clearly in Romans, what this promise says to us, that in Christ, in Christ Jesus now, we know that nothing can separate us from God. That God has and will enter into the darkest moments of human existence in order to liberate us. This is the Jesus that we want to see more clearly. This is the Jesus of endless compassion and love. This is the Jesus who will pay any price to redeem each one of us. So we journey so that we might see him more clearly. The second element, though, that we need to keep in mind is that the whole point of the pilgrimage is that we do it together. We do it together. A poem that came to mind, another poem that came to mind for me this week was Footprints in the Sand, which has proven, I know, very helpful to many people at points of struggle or loss. You might not know it, but at the heart of the poem is the idea that in the midst of difficult times in our lives, when there's only one set of footprints in the sand, on the beach, it's not because Jesus has left us, but because at those times when we could not go on, he's picked us up and carried us. So the one set of footprints is Jesus. Jesus' own footprints. Well, that's a potent image. But the image of pilgrimage is, if anything, more powerful. You see, it reminds us that the path that you and I are walking on is a path that is well-trod. Thousands of people 
generation after generation. People from all around the world continue to walk this path. People in Ukraine, people in Russia right now are walking this path with us. Many, many of the people who walk this path do so with life circumstances that are overwhelming. More overwhelming than some of us will ever understand. This path that Jesus invites you and I to walk on is a well-worn path. Indeed, the whole point of the pilgrimage is that we're traveling in a great company. We are, as the book of Acts tells us, we are people of the way. We are people of the well-trodden path. We are people of the pilgrimage towards Jesus. Last Sunday, Tim spoke of the central and foundational place of Christian community. Community is not easy, is it? In fact, community sometimes is really hard. But you see, at those moments when you and I are too tired to put one foot in front of another, or when our hope evaporates because of the circumstances of our lives or what we see going on in the world, at those points when we can't take another step, that is when we need others to hope for us. That is when we need others who will pull us back up on our feet, who will take our arms and put it over their shoulders, and then will support us as we walk along, as we continue on the pilgrimage. We walk the pilgrimage together. That's the whole point of a pilgrimage. So on Easter, and in Psalm 134, we celebrate the end of the pilgrimage. When we're able to stand in the presence of God. When we raise our hands and our voices in praise. Of course, we know that we are not at that point, permanently. There's ways in which Easter is just a taste of what is yet to come. You and I still need to go back out into the world, and not just to live another day. We go back out in the world to carry the hope of Christ to a world that desperately needs hope. To a world that has not yet joined in the pilgrimage, and because of that is often overwhelmed by the darkness. Easter Sunday then is the high point of the year when we celebrate the gift of being able to enter into the holy place, the presence of God. But it's not only Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is meant to be a mini Easter when we gather together with one another and we look again to the one who leads us in this pilgrimage who's already gone before us. The one who served us by giving his life for us. And it is as we celebrate that, as we taste the life that God has given us, that we too are given the courage to continue. To continue on our journey and to continue to be those who bring hope to a world without hope. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. 
please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services. 